last week we talked about uh, and stated that all sin is theft. All sin is theft. All the laws and commandments of, are interlocked and intertwined. You break one, you break them all. You break part of God's character, you break all of God's character. You either are righteous or you're not. You can't be partly righteous. All sin is theft. We are sinners, therefore we are thieves. And then the law demands restitution. The law demands that thieves pay restitution. The Old Testament, it was give back what you stole, plus a little bit more. Whatever the particular crime was, they had particular case laws. You did this, you paid this much back. Make amends, apologize, and there's an action to it. There's a, there's a restitution to God, because you've sinned, all sin is against God. And there's a restitution to others, but it's not just words. There's an action to it. Our words, our actions are always intertwined. And the gospel is clear, right? The, the law demands theft needs restitution. The, the gospel is clear. Jesus pays our restitution to God. It's a debt that he doesn't owe, he's not responsible for, but that he pays freely. Right? Restitution is not meritorious for us. It doesn't earn us anything. But it's mandatory as we follow the life of Jesus and to begin to be transformed into his character. As Jesus models repentance for us, we learn that repentance brings is that Jesus pays our restitution, but in that, we begin to be changed. And we want to pay restitution as well. 2 Corinthians 7.10, we read last week, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. But worldly grief produces death. I mean, God, this is God's work in us. Very clear, the gospel. God produces repentance in us. God changes us, our heart gives us sight to see how we've wronged people and leads us actually to turn the other way and then willingly want to pay restitution. Even though we know it's already paid for. That leads to our full salvation, this character that God is intertwining in us, transforming us to be. We remember we went to the triangle last week, right? That God, Jesus on the cross justifies. He declared us, right? He took on our sin, and then he gave us his righteousness once and for all. Not ours, but his. So when he looks at us, he sees himself and sees his character. It's done. It's forever. But that's not salvation by itself. That is, that is the beginning point. And in that, there we got, right, there's sanctification. God is transforming our hearts to obey, to be in his character. That word righteousness, right, he declares righteousness, right, that, and connected to holiness, is also a process in which God has changed us into his character. Justice character of justice. And you remember back into May, I tied a sermon that justice clearly defined is God's character because those words are connected, justice and righteous. What is just is what's God's character. And that's how we live out justice. Right? We don't, this righteousness that is given to us once and for all by this one-time offering, right? this is a already, but it is not yet. 
but will be promised, that will be, God has transformed us through the Holy Spirit that will be fulfilled in us and will be glorified with him in his righteousness. All of this is his work in us and for us and through us, but it's not stagnant at all. And today we're going to look at another way that repentance looks like in our life. Like last week we looked at repentance looks like restitution. And today we know a penitent person a penitent person actually wants to pay restitution. They see their sin, like they know that God has paid the restitution for them, but they want to still give back because a thief does not dictate the terms of how they give things back. God does, and so they want to give back what they've stolen to who they've stolen it from. However, Jesus models a character that goes beyond restitution. Right, because what does Jesus do? Jesus pays a restitution that's not his to pay. He pays a restitution that you and I stole, and he pays it freely, a debt that is not his. Repentance is beyond restitution. Repentance and being transformed into God's character is about restoration, repair, which is what Jesus is doing for us. It is about restorative justice. Maybe you've heard that term before. I want to clearly define what restorative justice in Scripture is about. Right? Justice is God's character. God's character is about restoring his people. That's restorative justice into his character. Restoration is the fruit of repentance in our lives. Repentance is a fruit of sanctification, God's work and making us holy into his character, and sanctification is a fruit of the justification, the one-time act that God has done for us. And today we're going to dive into that parable of the Good Samaritan to learn about what is this restorative justice, what is this repentance that looks like restoration in our lives, that looks like models after Jesus. Before we do that, I want to tell you a story that is not close, but it's not similar to the Good Samaritan. And the reason I'm going to do that, because I'm going to ask you, as we listen to the sermon at the very end, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to open up the floor. I want to give you a, what are practical examples of how we live out the principles of the Good Samaritan story and restorative justice in our world today. I'm going to open that up. The reason I open that up, because I struggled really hard. I asked Jesse about it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to ask people. I have a couple ideas, but I want to give you an example of what it's not, because I think it's more than what we think it is. So in June 2020, right, just as things might have been opened up, I was able to go golfing with Andrew, right, we're in the midst of the pandemic, right, but it's sunny out, so we went golfing. Just as before, the first time I'd been golfing in a long time, just as before I was going to tee up on the first tee on veterans, there's this right behind us. This car crashed, one car was pulling out, one car was, you know, 35 miles per hour on that street, slammed in, airbags flew off, right? smoke everywhere, and so this all happens really quickly, but one of the things that I have to do, I don't know about you, you're probably a little bit different than me, maybe you're not, is I have to be really proactive to respond. My first response in emergency is, oh, I should step in and help. That's not my first response. My first response is, what do we do? How do we move on? All right. It's, it's, like, it's not like, oh, I'm the one. Someone else should be doing that. 
But I've, I have to work on it. Don't, I don't like that about me, by the way. I just want to let you know that. I, but I work on it quite a bit. Like, I have to respond. I need to do something. And so in that moment, I'm looking around. I'm like, well, no one else is going to respond. I guess I got to respond. Right? And so I, I kind of sprint over there and just... Uh, which is really abnormal. I sprint over there, and as I was getting to the car, uh, this, it must have been 17-year-old, 16-year-old, I don't know, young girl. It's hard to judge age at that age, from my age. Right? She comes sprinting out of the car, and remember, it's COVID, 2020, in June, and she just barrels, and just gives me a hug, and just, you know, crying. I, oh, I guess we're doing this now, right? <laughs> I, guess we're, I guess we're just forgetting social distancing, right? Uh, but I, was, I didn't say that. I thought it. Um, but so I, I, I just hold her carefully. Oh, she's like, she's panicked. Like, it's not my fault. Where's my dad? Like, just in complete shock, right? She seems physically okay at the moment, but I'm not a really good judge of that. And so I, I, I breathe. I calm her down. Like, you're, you're, you're right. You're fine. Like, let's call your dad. Before that, I actually had called 911 and told them, right? And they, let's call her dad. It, it took a while. I sat her down about 10 minutes. And by the time, no one had gone to the other lady that was in the car. She was still in the car. So I walked over there. Her airbag was exploded. And I, so I just knocked. I couldn't really get the door open. She said she was fine. I said, listen, police are on their way. I'm not going to pry this door open, right? As long as you're okay in there. All right, uh, you know, I don't know what's happened. Maybe I don't want to move her, right? Someone's going to be with you in a moment. Then I go back over there. And I just caught it. She's still in crazy mode. But here's, here's all this point, right? In my mind, now I've been 15 minutes with this girl. I'm thinking, is my duty done? When, when, when do I have, when, when does my responsibility stop here? I mean, I didn't cause the accident, right? This is not my daughter. I mean, I, I made sure she was okay. And then when the police came, like, that's the cue. My duty is done. I can go tee off on hole one. Don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> right? She, she calm. She actually then, she actually then, I said, you know what? Police is here. You called your dad. You know, we need to talk to police. You're going to be fine, right? And uh, she said, oh, at that point, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I, you know, that I hugged you, that I didn't have a mask on. I said, it's okay. We're going to be okay, right? You're okay. And I went golfing. Here's why I just want to thank you about that. I, 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 sorry, I said I went golfing. What was I supposed to do? I paid for my time already. <laughs> um, the Good Samaritan stories you're going to hear is a little bit more than that. That is a good thing to do, but the call in our life is a little more than just help those that are immediately in need. It's a little more radical, and that's what I want you to hear, because I think sometimes we dumb down the Good Samaritan story and the call in our lives. We just have to do enough to help the person in front of us. It's more than that. It's much more radical. So I want you to think, at the end, what are practical ways we can live out restorative justice, the Good Samaritan parable in our lives? Let's dive in. Luke 10, 25 through 29. And behold, a lawyer, it's always a lawyer, right? A lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Actually, a lawyer is a, a, a legal expert on uh, like he's a biblical scholar, right? So it's not really like a law lawyer. It's like the moral law, God's command. He knows the ins and outs of God's law. This is what he studied. This is what he knows. He knows the case law. He stood up, here clear, to put Jesus to the test. He was testing Jesus. Not a great start to their relationship. 
Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I want to hear your understanding of it, Jesus says. And he answered, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, he said to him, you have answered correctly. I mean, hear this clearly. The lawyer understood exactly what the law commanded. And this isn't just like a one that one liner, right? He actually pulls this out. He deduces this from scripture. This is this is what we celebrate on Monday Thursday. The, the, the commandments of God. Love God, love your neighbor. This lawyer understands it clearly and is able to articulate it to Jesus. And Jesus says, Yes, you got it. Now do this and you shall live. But he daring to justify himself. Not only was he testing Jesus, but he was like, well, look how righteous I am. He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Understand, that's the, over, under, the overarching question. Who is my neighbor? Right, the, the lawyer quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18. Right, you should love the Lord your God, and you should not take vengeance, or, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of love in Scripture. This is the character of God. I want to speak about this just in a moment. When, God, when Jesus says, do this, that, that, I know that for a lot of us, it kind of scares us. Like, Does that mean it's mandatory for me to earn your salvation? It's not meritorious. You don't earn your salvation. But if you're being transformed into God's character, this is what God does. This is what Jesus does. This is who he is. And you and I are being transformed into that character. Immediately after the commandment, immediately after he, Jesus says, yes, you are right, what does the lawyer do? He seeks to find limits to the law. Okay, what are its boundaries? How much do I need? How far do I need to go? How do you seek limits on the law of love in your life? What boundaries, what, what but or however you're looking for in your life? I mean, I, I have them. I don't like them but I have them. What are your limits to the law? The law of love. And go on to the parable. Right, what, what, Jesus then tells him this parable. This is what I mean. Do this. This is the law of love, Jesus says. And tells him this parable. A man, it's a Jewish a, a man, walking down on known and steep, dangerous road. It's the, it's the road that would have been familiar to all of This is a parable. It's a road that would have been familiar to all of them. The road from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem, the road through Samaria. It is a dangerous, steep road, 17 mile long, known to have robbers on it. So it's not just this parable that has the robbers on it. It's known that it's dangerous. You could get robbed on this road. There's a risk. And Jesus says, right, there was this Jewish man who was robbed on this road. They took his clothes they took, uh, they left him from dead. It doesn't say much more than that what they robbed him of. But we know that all sin is 
theft, right? So it's more than just clothes, right? They robbed him of his human dignity. They almost robbed him of his life. Who else, what else? No, they took from him. And then Jesus tells, look it, there was a priest and a Levite, both of them, both people in this time, a priest and a Levite, were privileged people, people that are high up in society. They're not like pastors today. I'm not complaining that I'm not high up in society. I like to be incognito, <laughs> right? right? But this is a priest and a Levite. This is what everyone respects. These are the religious leaders, the moral leaders. They knew the law. And what do they do? They avoid the person on the road. One of them decides to even walk on the opposite side of the road. These were Jewish people avoiding a Jewish person that was robbed. He is a fellow countryman. But what does it say? They're not directly responsible, right? They didn't rob that person. They didn't sin against that person. They didn't do anything. And then we're told in this parable, a Samaritan. Now, if you don't know, a Samaritan is a sworn enemy to the Jews at the time, and vice versa. They had a similar heritage, but a quite different faith. And for Jews, a Samaritan was a half-breed. Like the worst they could be is a Samaritan. And what does this Samaritan do? He has compassion on his sworn enemy. He stops. Is the Samaritan responsible for this Jewish man that's robbed? He didn't do anything to him. But what does he do? He stops. He binds up the wounds. He cleans them. He sets them on his own animal, and he takes him to the inn, and he cares for him. Takes him a, at least a whole day to tend to his needs. Interrupts whatever he is doing, assuming he's probably on business or going home. Then he leaves two denarii. A denarii one denarii is like one day's worth of wages for an ordinary person. So he leaves two full days of wage with the innkeeper. He's already taken care of him, make sure he's okay. And like, look, I got to keep going. Taking my whole day journey, right? I'm going to keep going. I'm going to leave you here. The innkeeper tells the innkeeper, whatever you have to do, whatever debt that you have to pay, whatever expense that you have to pay to take care of him, to house him, to feed him, whatever it is, put it on my tab. I'll pay for it. And then he just doesn't, he doesn't this is what I do, like, okay, I'm done responsibility. I'll go send you a check, right? You got Venmo, right? We'll do this. No, but he says, I promise I will come back. I will come back and make sure you're well. Promise to return and follow up. Hmm. That's not really what I did with the girl on the golf course, is it? I don't even know her name. Duke Kwan and Gregory Thompson uh, helped me with their exegetical work on the Good Samaritan here, and it may be seen in a way that I haven't really seen it before. And this is what they said. They said five things about it. Restorative love in the parable of the Good Samaritan is essential, it's universal, it's personal, it's sacrificial, and it's supernatural. And let's start. Restorative love is essential. Luke 10, 28. And he, Jesus said to him, 
you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And then he tells them, this is what I mean by do this. This incredible story. Like restitution, restorative love is not meritorious. You and I, it doesn't earn us when we do this. But, but it is mandatory if we are people being transformed into God's character because that's what God's character is. This is who God is. And so it needs to begin to manifest itself in our lives. It's the fruit of repentance. Jesus says, do this, not because it earns us anything, because it is his fruit in our lives. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of God's character. James 2, 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Restorative love is the fruit of our faith. Works are faith lived out. That's what works are. They don't earn us anything. Your faith doesn't earn you anything. But it is literally like when you say you love someone and you do not do any loving actions. That's nonsensical. If you love someone and say it, you actually need to demonstrate what love is. So it is with faith. I trust you, Lord. Now live a life that actually demonstrates that you trust God. <laughs> Not that you don't. And then we know we struggle with this, right? God knows that we struggle with this. That's why he's working on us. 1 John 4, 16. So you, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. So we need to abide in this manifestation of love that God is describing to us. This is, I am love, and this is what love is. Good Samaritan story. We, we get this in the sheeps and the goats story, right? In Matthew, where he tells this other parable where he separates the sheep and the goats, and he talks about the sheep in th Matthew 25, 35 to 36. For when I was hungry, and you gave me food... I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. All of this is understanding. It's like, none of that earns you anything, but it is the fruit of repentance. It is the fruit of God's Spirit working into you. Yes, it's mandatory, because that's the work that God is doing, not the work that you're doing. It's the work that God is doing in your heart that outwardly transforms some of those behaviors. Restorative love is the product of those who trust in Jesus, those who have been justified and those who are being sanctified into God's character. Quan and uh, Thompson say this, when we encounter victims of robbery on life's roadsides, our response of love is not an act of charity, but covenant fidelity. It is not optional, but essential. Meaning, it's, it's not an act of your generosity. It's an act of your character. It's an act of, of the covenant, the promises that God makes to you and you make to God. But more so, God makes to you. Because he's made this promise that I will make you right. I will make you into my character. Restorative love is essential, and restorative love is universal. So Luke 10, 37, you go and do likewise. Remember, the story is in the context of answering the question is, 
Who is your neighbor? That's the context, right? Who is your neighbor? And then Jesus answers this. The assumption is that restorative love, love acts are implied and obvious. This is what we do. This is who Christians are. This is who followers are. But the question is, wait, but who do we do them for, right? Is there a limit? Is the type of people that we do them for? What's the boundary in which we do this kind of love for? What's the boundary in which God's love is for other people? And here's the thing that we find in the Good Samaritan and throughout Scripture. There are no out clauses to the boundaries of God's love. Praise God for that. You and I need to praise him that there are no out clauses to who he loves. There is no one excluded from being your neighbor. You and I, we like to exclude people. God does not exclude. There's no boundary to his love. This is a universal calling upon our lives. Restorative love is essential. Restorative love is universal. And restorative love is personal, meaning it's not transactional. I don't like any of these three. These are counter to who I am. I like being transactional with people. I like accomplishing things. It's done. Check mark. I've helped you. Done. But what he's saying is that we are called to relate to people and not to their needs. We are called to relate to people universally and not to their needs. Meaning we don't look at someone and say, this is their needs. You look at someone and see, that's a person. And guess what? They have needs, you have needs. Everyone has needs. You look at them because they are a person made in God's image. And you love them, therefore. At the very beginning, Scripture tells us we are our brother's and sisters keepers. That's our job, is to love them as fastly, and to help and to serve them. Martin Luther King Jr. says this about restorative love, that it's not about writing a check, but giving one's soul to another. It's not transactional, it's relational. It is always relational, and God demonstrates that he is relational to his people. God is not just out there distantly, I'm going to die for these people, and I'm checking out. It's all paid for, done, see you later. No, he dies for us so he can be relational with us. He wants us to be relational with each other. He's created us to be communal people. Relational people, not transactional. We need a different way of seeing people. The priest and the Levite, did they see the person on the road? I mean, they physically saw them. But they saw there was a need, and they were not responsible for it, and so they kept on going. The Samaritan presumably saw, this is my sworn enemy. It doesn't matter. It's another human. I shall respond. I shall respond. It's just not facts or situation. It's a human. The Samaritan identified with the person as a we. We're in the same boat, aren't we? We have needs. And now you need to be served. Because we are all broken. We are all sinners. Whether people realize it or not, we are all broken and we are all sinners. 
and we need the same restorative love. In Luke 10, 33, but a Samaritan at his journey came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion. And now, this word is a word that comes, it really means literally comes from the bowels of who you are, the deep recesses of who you are to love this person. Empathy, right? Empathy is the ability to understand and share the feelings of another. The incarnation of Christ and the cross of Christ are the ultimate acts of empathy in this world. I just want you to think about this. Jesus actually says in Philippians, right, Jesus, all glory, comes down and literally says, to be nothing. Why? So he can relate. Have empathy. Does he, does he own our sin? No. He dies for it. He, he, he's able to differentiate between him and us. But he comes down and has incredible empathy. He dies on the cross for our sins because he knows that he, you and I can't do that. We can't pay that price. It's the ultimate act of empathy that he's modeling for us in our life, right? The difference is that he self-differentiates. He knows where he begins and others stop. That's what self-differentiation stops, right? Sometimes when we're with people, we take and own their stuff and it sits with us. Right? You, you, know, you know what that means, is like, right? You know, we need to self We can empathize. We can feel what they feel because we know what it means to be broken. We know what it means to be a sinner. And we know what it needs to be loved and need love. And so we can empathize. We can come down and give love in that capacity. But it doesn't mean we own their issues. The parable establishes a pattern of empathetic restorative love that Jesus demonstrates to all of us, right? Love is essential, restorative love is essential, it's universal, it's personal, and it's sacrificial, meaning it was costly for the Samaritan to do this. It interrupted his journey, it was costly financially for him, and even that, I want you to think about, right, this is a dangerous road, this person just got robbed, and what does he do? He bends down and serves... What if the robbers were still there, waiting to pounce on someone? He just exposed himself to being robbed. Sacrificial. I think you and I, at least I do, have a hard time with cost analysis. I look and I think, mm, those things, that kind of love, serving people in that way, that's too costly for me right now. I have to build up my energy for it. I mean, you might be a little bit different than that. But we, I, I just don't judge it correctly. Think about, we, we just read the story, well, like several months ago, but in John, we just read the story of feeding the 5,000, right? There's this massive audience that is hungry. They've been out all day, and what do the disciples do? They, uh, the apostles do, they judge the cost. There's too many people. We can't feed them all. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources. Jesus, let's send them back. And what does Jesus do? He counts the cost. Oh, we got this. We, we got this. We can do this, and then he does do this. But you and I, we count the cost, and we realize, I don't have enough in me to help this person. Perhaps, perhaps. The other aspect is sacrificial, right? It's the sworn enemy of. 
right? That girl on the street, she wasn't my sworn enemy. Stranger, but wasn't my sworn enemy. I want you to think about what Jesus is, he's saying something in such an absurd way, not that's true, but to get a point. This is, this is like I've been trying to think about, how, how would I demonstrate that today? This would be some ways, it would be like a, asking, the, the Samaritan would be a slave, restoring a fallen slave owner that's fallen up and taking care of them and paying their debt. That's some way the absurd story. Or I thought even, Mike, even more poignant to this in this moment, right? The Samaritan would be in a modern-day tale would be a Taliban helping a fallen American Christian woman. That's the absurdity in which Jesus is telling this story. This is how radically different this is in our world. And the point of that is he's telling, like, listen, you and your fellow Jews, you're not even doing this. This is what you're required to do. And you're letting sworn enemies that do it better than you. You who should know who I am and know my character. This is a radical, radical grace and love. I want you to be very clear. You and I have no enemies. I'll, I'll say even more clearly. You and I have no human enemies. Scripture doesn't say it that way. You and I, there's, I mean, there might be people that are hostile to us, that act like enemies, right? That may think we are their enemies, but you and I know we have no human enemies. There's three enemies in scriptures to us. There's powers and principalities, spiritual forces, demonic forces. There is sin is our enemy, and there is death in our enemy. And who's responsible to take care of all those enemies? God is. God's responsible. He takes care of those enemies for us. There is no human that is our enemy, no matter how hostile they are to us. That's true. That's the design. Now, we know people are broken and they're sinful, and so we act very hostile to each other. Submission to God's love means there's sacrifice. But I want you to understand sacrifice. It's not a sense of losing who you are, but it's, it's a sense of sacrifice of this is what I've already gained, God's love, and this is what I'm giving. So you lose nothing in the reality, in the sacrifice, because you've been given everything by God. So any sacrifice you have in this world is not, oh, I'm losing something. That's not the perspective we have, but this is what we have gained and this is what I'm going to give out of this capacity. The other maybe controversial thing to say, property, income, possessions, they are not yours. They are not, they, they, I mean, they may legally belong to you on this earth, but they are not yours. Scriptural understanding is they are God's. He gives them to us. We are stewards of them, and we freely give of them to others as they are in need, period. Restorative love in that capacity. There's no ownership and there's no pride in the things of this world. It all belongs to God and God freely gives to us, right? So love is essential, love is universal, love is personal, love is sacrificial. Are you guys ready to get out now? Like, this is too much? And then love is supernatural. Praise be the Lord. 
because we just read, this seems to be an impossible standard for us because we are hard-hearted, sinful, broken people. But that's why God intervenes. Right? That's, why, that's why God dies on the cross for us to justify us because he knows that our character is not like this. That's why God is sanctifying us is because he knows our character is not like this. This is part of our salvation, to be restored into his image and into his character. Jeremiah 31, 33 says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, his people, after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will put my character within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and there shall be my people. I want you to understand, at the very beginning, when God created people, did he write the law down? He didn't need to. It was written on their hearts. Sin enter? What did God do? He wrote the law down. Why did he write the law down? It was grace. He wrote the law down so you and I could know who he is and know who we are not. It's grace that he writes the law. And then God, this is the grace that I promised you. I'm going to restore this. That there, you're not going to have to have this written law because it's going to be written back on your hearts. My character will be written on your hearts. This is, this is God's supernatural act in us. Not our act to do these things. This is God's work in us and for us and through us. This parable is not just about caring for the needs of others. It's not just about being generous. This is a lesson not about helping others that need help, which are all great things to do. But this is about God's love for his people. And this is how God forms his character in his people. The Good Samaritan parable is a story about repentance that is beyond restitution. Repentance Right, 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 restitution is paying back what you owe. But this is much more because this is not paying what you owe. This is restorative love. Paying back for some, what someone else owes. Someone else in the story robbed this person. And yet Jesus says the duty to restore this person, yes, ultimately would be great if the person that robbed him, repentant, restored, that would be fantastic, right? But it says regardless if that happens, Regardless if that happens, our job, those that are following God, that believe in him, that trust him, that walk with him, our job is to pay the debt. Our job is to pay the debt and to restore each other. Not because it's meritorious, not because it earns anything, because that's God cared, because that's what God did for us. He paid our debt that he didn't owe. This is what Jesus is telling us. A grace that restores and repairs stolen things. This is what restorative love is. It's a repairing love. It is a reparative love, if you want to say it that way. The law requires restitution. The restitution is at the cross. Jesus models this repentance by paying restitution for us, but even more, he models restoration for us. Jesus models restorative love for us, paying the debt that we do not owe for others. We are to love in that same capacity, to pay others restitution. Reparative love. 
restorative justice. That's God's character. That's who he's creating us to be, to lay down our lives, even people that we think are our enemies. All of this is the fruit of God's work in our lives. Restorative love is the fruit of repentance. Repentance is the fruit of sanctification. Sanctification is the fruit of justification. All of this is God's work in our lives that manifest it. In John 3.16, we know this, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I want you to connect those two things. God so loved, he gave. This is God's character. God loves, and out of this incredible love that we can barely begin to understand, this restorative love that we can barely comprehend, right, comes generosity. It is natural in it. It gives, and it gives, and it gives. Brothers and sisters, we receive this restorative love, and we have the capacity at this point, not because it's in ourselves, because of God's love for us, because he gave, that we can give. We can help our neighbor. We can help restore them. Not in the way that God does. No, we don't take his place. We lived out that character in us. God is creating us that same love, and that same generosity, a generosity that pays debts that others owe. I, I just want to make it very clear, right? This doesn't mean that anyone who comes to you and says, this is what I need, that you give it to them. That's not what the parable is talking about, right? We've gone through studies about helping when, without hurting, right? We, we talk about there's, there's some wisdom in this. It doesn't mean, right, whatever someone wants that you just, well, all right, Whatever it is. No. This is when there has been a theft or a robbery or a sin against someone. Now, here's the, like, this can get complicated because sin is so pervasive in our world, it's sometimes hard to discern because all sin is theft. And there's lots of reasons why, this, why things happen, right? But in the midst of that, our first reaction is, how should I help? How shall I help restore? There's wisdom and discernment. Right? Because you don't just give to whatever. You give to those that truly need to be restored because something was stolen from them. It doesn't say, go then find the person. Right, That's not our job. Our job is to restore. Period. Our job is to restore. So, who's your neighbor? Everyone. There's no out clause. There's no but, there's no however. Is there a limit on how much restorative love you need to display? Lawyers? Here's another way you could ask their question. Ask God if there's a limit on how much restorative love he has for you. And if he answers that, that's your limit. But the reality is, you don't even understand the depth of his restorative love for you. How could you ever put a limit on it for others? There's no limits. This is the rep- residing principle of God's character. This is his holiness. Do you, do you see how countercultural, how radical this is? I mean, it's even radical for us in the church. It's so radical for the rest of the world. 
that doesn't even make sense. All right, so I had a question for you. It's not an easy question, is it? Because I've been racking my brain. What are some practical ways that we can show neighbor love, that we can live out this parable of the Good Samaritan in our lives today? Anyone got an answer? I need your help. We need each other's help. I mean, I gave you, what, 45 minutes? How long did I go, right? <laughs> Come on, people. <laughs> Anyone have any? Because I have a couple ideas, but I want to hear your ideas first. Yeah, what are practical ways we can live this out? Some of you do it all the time. Go, Linda, please. Yeah. Okay, that's good. I think a good Samaritan story goes even farther than that, but that's a good place to start, right? I like how you made it personal, too. I would have made it something more abstract for myself, but good job, Linda. You took it to heart. Yeah, Robert. Wait a second. Are you asking me a question back after I ask you a question? <laughs> it's unbelievable. That's more complicated. That takes some wisdom, right? Because it's, it's the principle. You don't just, you go have to go to the principle. You need to be relational. You need to be relational. You need to be, we need to know what's going on, right? So it's, you don't just give because someone asks. Complicated, right? Okay. One way, help people doing what's trouble, they have trouble doing themselves. Yeah. Bob said foster care, right? Something's been stolen from these kids, right? Are you, are you, do you owe that debt to them? No. Are you restoring love to them? Are you showing God's character to them? Yes. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. All right. I like it, Ann. Good advice. Have faith. Try. <laughs> right? Try. Don't just be passive and do this. Here's, here's one that I got. I'll, I'll kind of sum it up here. Um, well, there's two. Locally, right? We can think very practically locally. Uh, foster care. Uh, we have lots of kids in our community. Lots of kids. There is uh, no other community in New England that has percentage of kids like Springfield does. Period. There is a lot of need, a lot of theft that has gone in their life that they're not responsible for. We could mentor them. We can go into the schools. They have programs that do this that you can just spend time with them. 
There's these ministries, Young Life, that you can view. There's uh, Christina's House. There's Rescue. There's all these different things that you can be relational with people and help begin to restore some things that were taken. Not just possessions. I'm not talking about possessions, but other things. It's other practicals. Here's the other one. In modern day foreign policy, I'm not being political here at all, but understand this very clearly. All the Christians around the world should be stating clearly, we will take any refugee. Not just in Afghanistan, because there's more. We will take any refugee. I don't care about your political policy. There is no political policy, I'm going to get, you might be angry with me about this, but that you can justify as a Christian that would say no to a refugee. Now, we're not talking about migrants. You can have different viewpoints on that. But I'm talking about a refugee that has something that is stolen from them, multiple things that we are people just called here to restore their love. And that same passion I just talked about them, man, I'm talking about the kids of Springfield. I'm talking about people that don't have parents. I'm talking about a lot of things that we should have that same passion that Jesus has for those people. That's restorative love. That's radical. That's what Jesus is calling to. Doesn't matter what religious affiliation they are, doesn't matter where they come from, we're here. We'll help. This is the church's response, this is God's people's response. Who's your neighbor? Everyone. There is no buts. What's your call? Display restorative love as Jesus has displayed that restorative love to you. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I struggled with you this week. I struggled with your word. I struggled with your calling. I know many of us do all the time. I'm thankful for the depth of love that you begin to reveal and character that you have and the way that you love me despite my brokenness and the way you love these people in these church despite their brokenness. Lord, help us to take initial steps to, to begin to try to live out your character not in our own strength but reliance upon you. Knowing just like the, the 5,000 that there is enough because this kind of love is only supernatural. Help us to be kind and supportive of each other as we walk in this path of uh, this, this painful and, and good path of sanctification that you're working in our lives, Lord. Lord, in our heart, our heart, help us to break for the things that it breaks for in you and the world. Help us to see the brokenness and for us to to not respond in criticism or doubt, but to respond in love. Like a godly grief that turns us towards repentance. I thank you that this is your work in us because it wouldn't be my work. It wouldn't be our work. You are a good God. You are a loving God. Praise be to you. And all God's people said, amen.